live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for president. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstedt, I see that WTMJ has renewed its our radio deal with the Brewers. Yes. We will continue to be the flagship station. That That's is great. Right. We're all thrilled about that. Mm-hmm. I was at the game last night, so now, so now I can now I can offer some thoughts here. Okay, you know it's oh, it's yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm at the game last night. I would describe that game if you're a Brewers fan as a well. The, the, the phrase they were using is gut punch. Actually, it was a kick somewhere. Is is what it was. So okay. we're, we're we're there, and it, it in many respects it embodied all the problems that the team that I love. I mean, I'm a huge fan. I that 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 goes through. Um, Okay, the bullpen has been a a dumpster fire mm-hmm. all year. There's no way to describe it. They're struggling, and yeah, <laughs> okay. You say they're struggling. <laughs> I'll say they've been a dumpster fire. Okay, so like the Cubs have problems. The Cubs go out and they they spend stupid money to get the best reliever in baseball to shore up their bullpen. The Brewers, because it's a small bark team and they don't have the dough, they just keep putting the same guys out there on, in the inferno. Okay, so so yesterday, great game. Brewers fall behind four to one. Bottom of the eighth inning, Tyler Saladino, this yep. guy who's hitting like one hundred, but had a grand slam on Sunday. He hits another grand oh, yeah. slam. It was, awesome. I, the, it was one of the great moments in regular season baseball. The crowd is going wild. I'm high fiving people from you know rows and rows. It it is great. And then there comes the ninth inning. Now they bring in Jeremy Jeffress. He gets the first guy. Second guy hits a ground ball. Arcia, Orlando Arcia. I, I guess it might have been a tough play. I don't know because he should have gotten the guy, but he airmails the, the throw, throws it over the head. Guy on first. Okay, get another out. Guy advances to second. Two outs. Guy on second. Everything is good. All right. Mm-hmm. You've got the, you've got the probably the only guy on the Cincinnati team. Um, the Suarez guy, he's their big home run hitter. He's probably the only guy who's going to really knock one out. Okay, he comes up, first base is open. Everybody in the stands isn't necessarily thinking that you intentionally walk him, but you pitch around him because the guy that's coming up afterwards is somebody that they brought in off the bench. Nobody's ever heard of. He's hitting like 230, okay? So you, you don't let Suarez beat you. You don't necessarily intentionally walk him, but you don't give him anything to hit. Second pitch, Jeffress throws this meatball in there that I could have hit over the left field. Well, I don't think that ball has landed yet. You know, you want to talk about, you know, and, and just all the way home and, and all the crowd. And, and of course, you know, nobody exactly knows who to blame for the debacle. Obviously, mm-hmm. Jeffress, who stunk, counsel for letting Jeffress throw those pitches to Suarez, uh, David Stearns for not giving counsel better players in the bullpen that he could come to. Mark Gattinazio and the ownership team for not giving Stearns more money so he could buy better players. It was just the microcosm of the whole team. So the trading deadline is next week. I continue to believe they're sellers. I don't think they're competitive. So if they sell, who would they sell? Mustakas probably? Well, Grandal. I'd, I'd Grandal. like to see him try to re-sign Mustakas. Grandal, I think you could get a bunch for him. Um, Braun, if anybody would take him. I mean, I just, I, they're four yeah, games. I have so, a hard time believing they're sellers yet. They're so, they're well, but no, well, but, but, they're, but no, but, but, 
My point is, look, and I, I hope you're right. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not rooting against them. I know you're not. But they're they're four games over 500. Uh, Woodruff is now out for six weeks. Their All best right. pitcher. Right. I mean, I don't think just adding one player is going to make any sort of significant difference. I guess that, and I, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I understand they've won a few games recently, and maybe that's going to encourage them. But um, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't see them being competitive with the Cubs and the Dodgers and the Braves and things like that. Hope I'm wrong. But it was yesterday was a tough game. It was. I can tell it's on your mind. It, it, well, it was. It was. It was just a tough game. And my wife, uh, I was there with my buddy Evan. My wife had been watching it. She went to bed. It was, a, it was a slow game, too. So she went to bed after the Grand Slam. She sends me this text saying, great game. And I said, when did you stop watching? Because <laughs> it, was, it was just a gut punch. But, you know, what, what can you say? For, so Brewers fans, I, you know, we, we live and die with the team, and you're going to be able to continue to hear it here on WTMJ for the foreseeable that's right. future. That's, that's the good news from our perspective. Huh. Okay. I'm over it. No, I'm not over it. It was just, a, it was just a, it was just a tough game. No question about it. But they will be there. All right. I love, 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 love this story. Just in, in the, in the sea of cluelessness that is out there. All right. I, I want you to think about the city of Milwaukee for just a minute. Picture the city of Milwaukee, and I want you to think about the number one problem that you think exists in the city of Milwaukee. Here, I'll give you a couple seconds. Okay, got it in your mind. Got, okay, uh, now, now I don't know. No, we're not going to take calls on it. But, but I maybe it's the the lousy quality of education. Maybe it's the high unemployment rate in certain portions of the city. Maybe it's uh, the lead in the pipes. Maybe it's the reckless driving where you take your life in your hands if you try to you know cross a, a street you know with the with the light. Maybe it's the, the out-of-control crime, whether it's the random shootings, three-year-olds getting shot in issues of road rage, or whatever. Okay, whatever your, your particular issue is that you are concerned about, you have that in your mind. Enter Milwaukee Alderman Cavalier Johnson, who is in the news today because he has decided that he wants to introduce and push a resolution calling on the state legislature to become aggressively involved, okay, in an issue that he thinks is important in Milwaukee. You know what that issue is? Rampant fireworks use. No, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. The resolution that he is pushing, he's the sponsor, calls for state lawmakers to draft legislation to prohibit firework sales across county lines. So in in Milwaukee, city of, and, and most places in Milwaukee County, fireworks are essentially illegal. If it bangs, if it flies, if it sparkles, it is against the law. I talk about that on a regular basis, how ridiculous I, I think that is to say you can't have sparklers. But all right, that, that's the ordinance. Okay, so what Johnson, Alderman Johnson, is concerned about is that, you know, it's not legal to have or use firework to use fireworks in Milwaukee. But you can go down to Racine County and you can stop at one of those places by the side of the road and you can bring, you can purchase fireworks and then you can drive back to Milwaukee and you can illegally shoot them off. So he wants, he wants a state law.
which would essentially make it illegal for people to transport fireworks across county lines or for fireworks dealers to uh, presumably sell fireworks to someone who might transport them across state lines. Um, All right, here's what he says. Milwaukee County is the most populous, most dense county in the state. When you set these things off and you're not a professional, there's a chance you could injure yourself or others and also set buildings on fire. That's what's happened in this county in the past as well. Okay, you have... I, you don't even know where to start with this. You've got people dying in shootings. You've got people dying with cars recklessly driving through intersections. You've got all these different issues. And so what is the Common Council going to do? We want a resolution calling on the state to make it illegal, I don't know, for people to transport sparklers across state line. Hmm, across county lines. Huh. Maybe this would be one of those examples of what's the phrase I'm looking for? Oh, yes. Misplaced priorities. Look, there's all sorts of things. If you wanted to, you know, really deal with major problems, there's all sorts of things. You could get resolutions and try to pressure the state legislature to toughen the penalties on drunk driving or toughen the penalties or impose mandatory minimums for car thieves or for people who commit crimes with violence or people, felons who carry guns, mandatory jail time, all sorts of things which would benefit the quality of life. But the Common Council is going to be dealing with sparklers across county lines. Hmm. All right, when we come back, what if 15 bucks an hour isn't enough? Stick around. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Hey, do you want state fair tickets? Wisconsin's radio station, that's us, is your best chance to win tickets to the Wisconsin State Fair. Tune in tomorrow during Wisconsin's Morning News, and you can try your hand at the State Fair Fun Fact of the Day. Be the first caller to answer the fun fact correctly, and you'll win four free tickets to the fair. Good luck. I love the alliteration there. It's like, okay, let's put all these F words in there. Let's have the guy have to read them quick, and let's see if there's any mistakes. No, no, check it out. Uh, Fair starts a week from Thursday, and, of course, a week from tomorrow. Well, we'll tell you about that in just a minute. All right. Here, for the longest time, there has been a push to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour. That's the thing. Oh, you got all these protests. Go out $15 and fight, et cetera, et cetera. I have made the point that, first of all, I, I think that is going to be extremely counterproductive because what you are seeing in many communities where the minimum wage has ratcheted up to $15 an hour. And by the way, if you increase the minimum wage, the entry-level wage to $15 an hour, that means you have to increase everybody's wages. You know, I mean, if, if you have somebody, let's say, let's say that you have somebody who's making $14 an hour now and they started at 10, well, you know, you're going to have to increase them. You, you can't just give them a dollar an hour wage and pay them the same as the entry-level people. So it, it's, it's a huge cost to employers. And what we are finding in this thing we call the real world is that in order to deal with this, a lot of businesses are having to increase costs, which is in some cases hurting business because people say, well, I'm, I'm used to paying six bucks for this hamburger. Now you're charging me eight fifty. No, no, thanks. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. So you've got that. 
And you've got the effect of employers saying, well, I, I just I absolutely can't afford this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut back the number of hours that workers have or just just eliminate a couple jobs. So, yeah, you make $15 an hour, but you're not getting as many hours or you lose your job entirely. How are you better off? But anyways, Chicago is moving towards this $15 an hour minimum wage. And you know what they're finding? They're finding that even at $15 an hour, it's not enough. By not enough, I mean these people who are working there are saying, well, look, it, the problem is, you know, even even if we're getting $15 an hour, it it's still, you know, not not a livable wage. Uh, you know, we, we can't support our family on it. There's a story in the Chicago Tribune today saying, you know, okay, I, I'm up to $15 an hour now, but I still have to live at home with my family. I still have to lean on my mother for health insurance. But the problem is, you know, $15 an hour isn't going to change my lifestyle in any sort of meaningful fashion. Yeah, it puts a little bit more money in my pocket, but not enough to make any sort of significant difference and not enough to really help me get out of this cycle of dependency that I have for government work, for for work. All right. And I think if you break it down and you look at it, $15 an hour, yeah, it's it's not going to let you make enough money that you can support, for example, a family of four on it. So the question becomes, what do we do now? If 15 bucks an hour isn't enough to essentially elevate your standard of life sufficiently, is it, do we need to raise the minimum wage more? Why are we talking about $15 an hour? Should we be talking about 20 or $25 an hour in order to make sure people's lives are better and they can get their slice of the American dream? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why do we stop at $15 an hour? Should we even, should we stop at $15 an hour? I mean, if that's a good idea, because, well, you know, people need it, why, why, why not 18? Why not 20? Why not 25? What's magic about 15? If you do the math, that's not going to be enough to be life-changing and, you know, anybody's sort of life. Don't we need to make it even more? And what would happen if we do? 414-799-1620. The argument is already starting because in places where they're paying 15, people are finding, hmm, it's it's not really making a difference. So 20, 25, $30 an hour, what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. See, here's the real-world problems out there. And and I'm not against people making more money. I, I'm, I'm not. But the problem is, if the justification for saying, okay, $15 an hour, that's because we want people to have living wages and we want to improve the quality of life. Well, $15 an hour doesn't do it. It, it just doesn't. So do you make it $18 an hour? Do you make it $20 an hour? Do you make it $25 an hour? At what point in time do we say, okay, the government – you know, it has to have input and be sensitive to the private sector. All right, let's start with Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So we have a, a unique issue here in Orlando. The service, the, these entry-level service jobs literally outnumber every other industry here, right? And they're, they're because there's you know, all these theme parks and, of mm-hmm. course, all these restaurants, these hotels. And so there aren't enough, like, and I get these jobs are designed for, like, high school kids and seniors. But there aren't enough 
you know, to fill the job. Mm-hmm. And the seniors that are here don't aren't going to fill them because they come here to retire, so they're not going to do them. Right. And so, you know, even if you're raising 16, I, I guess my question is, what do you do? Because, you know, a lot of these people are, are working full-time, you know, and dependent upon public assistance, so it's kind of a, we're paying for it anyway, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it does. I guess <clears throat> my point would be, See, I'm, I'm just kind of a free market guy, and I, I do understand there's a role in minimum wage. But I guess my problem, Lamar, is I, I don't think government can come in and, and let's say the job you're doing on the free market is worth 15 bucks an hour. Okay, that's that's what it takes an employer to pay somebody to do the job with the right skills and show up. When the government comes in and says, okay, we, we think that in order to have a sustainable wage, a living wage, it really needs to be $22 an hour. So, Mr. Employer, you got to pay Lamar 22 bucks, even though the job's only worth 15 I have an issue with that because where is that extra $7 an hour going to come from? But aren't we subsidizing them anyway? Because, for example, Disney, Disney has raised its minimum wage. Right. The union there, they raised it to 15 And so as a result, you know, Universal has had to make moves because they're competing for the very small, you know, number of employees. And, you know, and all the restaurants here will always pay much more than that because the demand for employees is so high. Right. But we're still, these people still qualify for, you know, public housing. They still qualify for food So I'm saying, aren't we paying it anyway? Well, to an, I mean, thanks to, I mean, to an extent, but to an extent, because, right, people qualify for food stamps up to, what, you know, 50000 or $60,000 for a family of four and things like that. So to an extent, we're, we're providing safety nets. But that's different than saying to private employers, we are now going to interject and we're going to tell you how you have to control your payroll. And, again, my concern is, and you're starting to see this in cities that are doing this, you have a lot of these businesses who are saying it's great to tell us that we have to pay $15 an hour or whatever. We can't afford to do that. So what we have to do is, first of all, we have to raise our prices. Secondly, that means we're generating probably less business. Third, it means we've got to cut back hours. Maybe we're not open as long because we're just not bringing in as much money. So you're putting this on the back of private employers, and I think you're killing jobs. We're going to continue the conversation. A lot of great calls on the line. What happens when 15 bucks an hour isn't enough? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 73 degrees outside, just beautiful out. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Mark. Say, you know, I think you might be onto something there because keep on raising it and raising it might not be the best solution. Uh, then in that case, I have to ask you, how many minimum wage jobs, because as a previous caller pointed out, uh, a lot of people that are doing these minimum wage jobs, they're not entry-level jobs anymore. They're just regular Americans. So how many minimum wage jobs or how many hours a week should an American have to work in order to be able to provide for themselves and their family? Well, I th- my answer to that would be that, I-, I mean, you would like to see a 40-hour work week that's there, but but I think you're looking at it the wrong way. The, I, the way I think you have to look at it is if, if you want a certain standard I don't think anybody, I don't think government owes you anything. I don't think the private sector owes you stuff. And if minimum wage jobs are not, and have never been intended to be full-time family of four supporting jobs, they're they're just not. They're, again, essentially entry-level types of jobs. And if you want to better yourself... What you have to do is, yeah, you get the foot in the door, but you have to either advance or you have to go back to school and get education and stuff. But 
I because I guess my point is I was kind of doing the math. Fifteen bucks an hour, eight hours a day. That's one hundred twenty dollars a day. That's six six hundred bucks a week. Let's call it twenty four hundred dollars a month. And then you take taxes. And then if you're working full time, you take health insurance. I and that I admit that doesn't leave you much. Doesn't you know by the time you start paying rent, there, there's not a lot left. It's uh-huh. well, so that's why and, you 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 can't just you can't make a career or a living working at a minimum wage job. I get that, but the reality for most Americans is there's not uh, enough other jobs out there for people to do or enough trained people no, to do that. I don't buy that. that. I don't buy that. Especially, the, for example, a real good one is Walmart. Uh, right now, a lot of or the majority of Walmart workers are receiving food stamps or other mm-hmm. public assistance. So we are currently subsidizing Walmart's pay uh, by giving public assistance to their employees Whereas if they were to pay a better, a fair wage to all their employees, they wouldn't be on food stamps, and we wouldn't be subsidizing. So your your answer, cost. so your answer is, you think the government should go into the private sector and say, okay, we think to keep people off food stamps, you should be paying your people twenty dollars an hour or whatever that number is. You you think that's the role of government to tell employers how much they have to pay to make sure somebody doesn't have to be on food stamps? I'm not saying that's the best option. But I am saying that something has to be done because the option of letting uh, American wages stagnate where they don't grow to match the inflation, but you still have record-breaking profits from companies like Walmart and similar, where the Waltons are raking in so much money you can't even fathom it, but then their employees are on food stamps. Somewhere there has to be a give and take. And, and that's what we're missing as a country. I'm not saying everybody needs to go to 15, everybody needs to go to 20. But there has to be some some give or take, because otherwise the quality of life for the majority of Americans is going to continue to decline, and we're going to end up more like a caste system than a democracy. Well, I guess my response to that, and thanks for call, I appreciate the perspective, but my, my response to that would be, if you're... Okay, working at the Walmart Superstore, and I, I, I don't know what the benefits are and where they pay you after you've been there for a couple of years or something like that, and you're, you're not making enough money, and I respect that, what you have to do is I think you have to sit down and figure out, gee, what do I need to do to change my life circumstances? Do I need to, you know, go back to school and, you know, and, and learn something that's a job that, that's in demand so I can be employable in the healthcare industry or I can be employable in this category or that. I, at some point in time, I guess I think there's only so much that government can do for you because the truth of the matter is, I mean, the, the other option is essentially let, let's, let's nationalize stuff. Let's have you know government come in and tell all the different employers this is how much money that you have to pay. And then I think it ends up making the problem worse because what's going to happen is a a lot of those businesses, and I'm not, not necessarily talking about the WalMarts, but I'm talking about you know some of the, these other, for example, the smaller businesses, and they say, okay, I'm, I'm running the local, I'm running the local hardware store, okay, and I, I pay my employees a fair wage because I want them to come back and I want them to keep doing the job and all those types of things. But you know now you're going to tell me I've got to pay them eighteen dollars an hour or twenty dollars an hour or whatever it is, so they don't qualify for food stamps. Well, okay, where am I going to get that dough? I mean, it's it's not like if you want to use the Walmart example, I think that that's an unfair situation because that's not where most of the people in this country end up working. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to um, let's see. Let's get a female perspective. Nancy in Burlington. Hi, Nancy. You're on WTMJ. 
Hi, Jeff. Um, this this whole conversation is just really frustrating. Um, I started out when mm-hmm. I went through a divorce in my 40s, ended up with no skills for besides Walmart or McDonald's or something like that. I've been home with my kids all the time. I got my CNA, my certified nursing assistant, through my employer. Right. Went back to work, moved my two kids into a one-bedroom apartment. I slept on a futon. I worked full-time, went to school full-time. Was it fun? No. Was it hard? Yes. Was it rewarding? Yes. I worked myself up to an LPN, went on from an LPN, went back to school and got my RN. Mm-hmm. Why is it fair to give someone, even as an LPN in the 90s, all I was making was $11 an hour. Why is it fair to give someone who's working at McDonald's or Walmart $15 an hour? The incentive is to go back to school and better yourself. Right. Was I, it hard? Yes. Was it awful? Yes. Yeah. I need, We lived on Hamburger Helper and yeah. hot dogs, and my kids were always like, Gee, I wish you would have went grocery shopping, but, Mom, there was always food in the fridge. Right. No, and again, and I'm sure it was difficult, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not tone deaf to that, Nancy, when we're having this conversation, but, but entry-level jobs – that's what they are. They are entry-level jobs, and people need to go into them understanding that they were really designed for people's first jobs or for teenagers or for senior citizens who want to make a little bit of extra money. And if, if you go in, let's say you take that job at Walmart and you're you're at the entry level. I don't know what that would be, cashier, stocker, whatever. The idea is, well, okay, I, I want to work hard. I want to, I want to work my way up and get some experience. So a year from now, I'm ready to apply for the promotion. So I'm doing something different or use the skills and the work record I have at Walmart to find myself a job somewhere else that, that pays more. Absolutely. And the thing is, there's grants, there's loans, there's help from your employers, there's help from the military. Any way you want to go back to school, you can go back to school. Community college, I used it. I I absolutely loved it. I took all the super spring and summer classes I could. But go back. If you want to make more money, you have to go back to school. You right, do. Right, or, or develop. Right, exactly. Now, I'm getting in. Thanks for calling me. I'm getting on these texts saying the heads and CEOs of these companies don't need to make millions upon millions of dollars. They could lower their prices. Okay, again, this is, I understand that it's easy to kind of play this this class warfare. You know, why does the president of this company or why does the president of that company, you know, they're, they're making too much money. Well, okay, they, in many cases, you know, they started out probably in kind of entry-level positions too, and they work their way up and they have a skill set that brings value to their company. So you, you could argue, look, I, I'm not going to argue whether somebody's salary should be $8 million or $10 million. That's for the, the people that know what that person does to decide. But especially when we're talking about these minimum wage sort of jobs, you know, if, if you want to think just, well, it's, it's all Walmart, that, that's fine. And Walmart employs a lot of people. I, I get it. But it, it also applies to all sorts of other businesses as well who have to make these real-world decisions. And, by the way, just, just so everybody understands, one of the things, if, you're, if, your employment co- if your employee costs go up, if your labor costs go up, all right, chances are 
that means a number of different things are going to happen. But one of the things is, is that your prices are going to go up. And when your prices go up, it affects everybody. It doesn't just affect the employees who are going to be paying stuff, but it affects everybody else. And then you get into this vicious cycle. I was using an example earlier. All right, you used to charge six bucks for a hamburger. Now, because you're paying your employees more, you're charging eight bucks. Huh. Well, all right, I, I liked your hamburgers for six bucks, and I'd come here three times a week. Eight bucks, eh, it's getting a little bit pricey. Tell you what, maybe I'm going to come here once a week, or maybe I'm not going to come here a- at all. The I understand the image out there is that you have all these corporate CEOs and people who run businesses are nothing but fat cats who sit on their butts smoking cigars and drinking expensive bourbon and trying to figure out how to you know stick it to you know the people who are working as cashiers. Maybe maybe that happens in some places. I just never seen it. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Eric, is that your last newscast? You're going on vacation? Uh, I am w- not leaving the building yet, no, but, but yeah, I'm going news- on PTO. Okay. Yep, yep. All right, all right. I've got it. I can't let you go into the good night quietly. I, I have a quiz. Drew, I want you to participate in this too. No. Okay. Here's here's the scenario. All right. You're driving on a winding rural road at night, two-lane road. Okay. And the car coming at you in the opposite lane has its high beams on. Okay? Do you, A, flash your headlights to alert the driver, B, momentarily look down and to the right at the white line on the road to avoid being blinded, or C, turn on your high beams? Okay, Gru? A, B, or C? A is flash, B is kind of look down, C is turn on your high beams. I would typically flash my... Okay, so your answer would be A. Yeah. Eric Bilstadt, what would you do? I'll flash. Okay, you're both wrong. Now, you you might have done that, but according to, and I'm looking at this thing, according to the guy that runs the driver training programs at AAA, um, you don't do that anymore. You do not... They're, they're, what they're telling people and what they're teaching people is that um, you're, you're not supposed to flash your headlights anymore. Why not? You're, well, um, because, uh, first of all, it's not generally known. They say there can, can be con- some confusion as to what that signal particularly means. Some people don't necessarily understand that. Okay. Secondly... They're saying that this is a potential cause of road rage if people, like, flash their headlights at people and you could be inviting all sorts of trouble. And what they're saying is that this is just, it's folklore. That's what they're describing. These practices, um, you know, using headlights to communicate, um, they said, you know, it became part of driving folklore. But, you know, your father did it. Maybe his father did it. But um, they say since this means something, to, it means different things to everybody, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, have you ever flashed someone's uh, with your brights to let them know that a cop? Well, that's the, the other thing. In see, in some areas, that's that's what it means too. It means, hey, you know, go over that hill and there's a speed yep, trap or something, get gunned, yeah. which is what it what it does. And they are 
you know, they're all this is AAA. They're saying, well, we don't want you alerting people to speed traps. But that, <laughs> but that, but that's, but that's precisely, but that's precisely their point. Their point is, you know, you're flashing at somebody, and you don't know that they're going to mean, oh, hey, that means I've got my brights on or something. So they're saying, bottom line is just let this go. That's what they're teaching well, I, people. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. It's nice to have some kind of communication with the other vehicles. I, the semis will pump their brakes at me sometimes to say thank you. Well, right. The 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 only exception. Now it's funny that you should mention that. The only exception to that that rule that they say of not flashing the brights is um, it's it's generally accepted that when a truck passes you, um, you know, like on the freeway or something, and when they're clear, you can flash your brights. That tells the truck driver that's safe to pull oh, over into okay. the other lane. So they are saying that that's the one. But a lot of people don't know about that. But that that is the one sort of standard thing. Say I hmm. kind of. I used to do lots and lots of freeway driving, particularly at night, and that was one of the things. You know, nowadays I don't know if the trucks are equipped. My my car has the the, the automatic lane right, change things right. where you have so it, you but know, yeah. but that that's it. So bottom line is, it's saying don't flash. Just telling oh, you, you're you're right. you're going on a you're going on a driving trip. I'm just saying. It's just, it says <laughs> it says resist the urge to flash. Yes, Drew, you want to wait in on this? But the solution is to look at the white line that's well, to the right of your car, just above the dashboard, like. I know you're technically looking at the road, but you're looking away from it says, where you're driving. Moment, blinded. Momentarily look down and to the right at the white line on the road to avoid being blinded. But you can see a high beam from like 500 feet away. Like if, the, if that car is 500 feet away. Well, I think it probably, but yeah, but if you see it at 500 feet away, it's not going to blind you. It's not you. quite as bright. I right. Suppose, I mean, I th- I, I, I'm just, and this is what AAA says. I was just, I, I was taking the temperature of the audience. Now, and, how often do you use your high beams? Do you find that you have them on a lot? I don't use them anymore as much anymore. Maybe the roads are more lit nowadays. No, you know what's interesting? In my car, um, the, the high beams come on automatically. Oh. It's really, it's actually, it, it's this kind of cool thing. You, you, you could turn that feature off, but I have it, I, it, I have it on autom- it, It's th- these, these modern cars are just incredible. It comes when you're like drive, when, when we were living in West Bend for the, those few months before mm-hmm. we moved in our sure. house. And so I would be driving on these rural roads a lot, and they, they come on automatically. Um, and then they've also got sensors, so they pick up when there's a car coming the other way, and then they go back to regular. It's the coolest thing in the world. Mm. Or, uh, of course, maybe my definition of cool needs work. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it's this, it's this kind of neat feature that you, know, you can turn that feature off, but it just it comes on automatically. And uh, when when it when it's dark, when it reaches a certain level of darkness, and then when there's a car coming the other way, it, it goes back to the regular beams. It's actually it's I was it it took me the first couple times it did it, I couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, it, this is magic. It is voodoo in the car. So I'm digging out the owner's <laughs> manual and looking at this stuff. But beyond that, before I had automatic, I almost never put on the brights. I wonder what else they could do. Like, can your new car like wink at another car if it wanted to? I don't 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 know. But this is. This is, I had gadget envy for years and years, and so when I, I mean, I, I I keep car. I tend to keep cars for a while. So when I got the new one, it it had heated power seats, it, locks. It, it power. I mean, right, right. It roll automatic oh. windows. It rolls those things up. Yeah, I tell you, it's um, but it's it had all the bells and whistles. It was so so. Uh, that's it. Bottom line is so just just be. I'm not going to take phone calls. People want to weigh in on this. Now I'm not going to take phone calls on the idea, but um. And, of course, one of the texters says one of the reasons not to flash back because they're blinding you is you could then blind the Blind driver back and create a more, you know, dangerous situation. The point it also makes is that uh, they say, well, you know, a person that has the brights on could, you know, be impaired or something. And the last thing you want to do is make the things worse. So 
Don't, don't know. I think it's more like road rage. I, I, see, I just don't engage other drivers. That's the, that is my lesson on the roads nowadays is just when the person does something that we would describe as rude, I tend to just let it go by because th- there's a lot of idiots out there and a lot see, of them have guns. Just in Caledonia. You see that big road rage situation yeah. in Caledonia? The well, day. okay, the, the three-year-old girl that gets shot yeah, a week ago Saturday. Yes, I mean, you funeral get, is happening right, right now. You've got some psycho that's you know should have been in prison you know, mm-hmm. driving around with a gun on his lap or whatever who gets hacked off at 8.30 on a Saturday morning because mm-hmm. somebody allegedly cuts him off. I... I don't want to be that statistic, so you kind of let a lot of stuff go. Okay, enjoy your vacation, Mr. Bill. Thank you, sir. When we come back, big doings in Washington, D.C. tomorrow. Some people think this is the end of the Trump administration. We discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Cream Palooza is back. Come help us fill the parking lots at State Fair for your chance to win a three-pack of State Fair's famous cream puffs. I will be on hand. I'm going to be there to give them away. The first 620 vehicles that show up, get in line, they get them. It's Cream Puffapalooza. It starts a day before the State Fair starts, which is Wednesday, July 31st. That's the Cream Puffapalooza. 6.20 a.m. First 620 vehicles each get a three-pack of Cream Puffs. It's always one of my favorite events of the year. All right, tomorrow, while people will be thinking about, gosh, there's only five or six weeks left in summer, what am I going to do? Well, some people in Washington are going to be riveted on hearings that are going to be held in front of the House Judiciary Committee. Why? Because special counsel Robert Mueller is going to appear and he's going to be testifying at the request of the Democrats. All right. Mueller is, of course, the one who did the seemingly never-ending investigation into Russian meddling into the 2018 elections. There were a series of indictments. But at the end of the day, Mueller wraps up the investigation with the recommendation that no criminal charges be issued against President Trump, uh, leaving open the question of he didn't clear President Trump of, uh, again, a, a conspiracy to obstruct the investigation. He just simply said, OK, we're, we, we have no we're not issuing charges. I'm not saying he's innocent, not saying he's guilty. But when you don't issue charges, you're essentially saying the government can't prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. The Democrats. Now, some Democrats have been pushing for impeachment. We, we all know this. And the impeachment, the far left wants impeachment. The moderate Democrats Democrat leadership and the Republicans just want to move on for this. But it's creating this tension in the Democrat Party. So there's actually a really interesting opinion piece in USA Today today, which says, look, here, here here's the deal. Let's all understand what's going on. Um, th- this isn't calling Robert Mueller isn't isn't about gathering new evidence that that's what they might say. But. But it, it's not about gathering new evidence. I mean, it, it, it not, it's not going to happen. There's no more new evidence that's out there. All the evidence they have is contained in the lengthy reports that were issued. So what's the purpose of, of the hearing? Well, the purpose of the hearing is really to see whether or not the Democrats can jumpstart American interest in starting impeachment proceedings. And that that's, look, let's just be honest. That's what tomorrow is all about. It's, it's about saying, okay, can we see if 
by asking Robert Mueller a question in a certain way or a certain way, we, we can open some door which is going to generate a, a mass groundswell among the general public. As we sit here, it's almost August of 2019. Can we generate some huge public response, some outrage, some outcry, which is going to say we need to begin impeachment proceedings right now and we need to go after the president? Now, of course, the, the reality of this is impeachment, the president's not going to be removed from office. That, that's just the bottom line because, you know, first of all, you need you know, you need a high percentage of people in the House of Representatives, and then you need a high percentage in the Senate, and the Senate's controlled by Republicans. So it, it's not going to happen. But it could be, I guess, perhaps interesting political theater over the course of several months. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Mueller is the, the last best hope of at least some people in the House to get the general public agitated enough to demand that the president be impeached. Let's tee this up. You want to see impeachment? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you like to see us spend the next several months tying up Washington, D.C., with an effort that we all understand is ultimately going to be unsuccessful. I mean, it's ultimately not going to go anywhere if the goal is to remove the president from office. That's just not going to happen. But, you know, could you theoretically, I don't know, have have some sort of show trial? Do you, is this how you want to spend the next several months? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because if, if you do, the, the best hope, the last best hope to getting that process started starts Tomorrow, when Mueller testifies, is this where we want to spend the next several months in a country as a country? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, do we go down the impeachment route? We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We are back. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Helen in West Dallas. Hi, Helen. Hi. Okay, you want to spend the next uh, six months arguing about impeachment? My God, Jeff, if they would spend half as much time running the government as they do talking about impeachment, we'd have a great <laughs> United States. It, people are getting so fed up with hearing about impeachment, it's it's becoming redundant now. Well, I, you know, I mean, the, the thing is, Helen, you've got, we, we have these things called elections that are coming up a year from now. And I mean, I, I think that's ultimately that's when people are going to render their verdict on on the Trump administration when they decide, you know, in November of 2020, whether they reelect the president or, or not. I just don't think for the vast majority of people, unless you're deep into Trump derangement syndrome, I don't think people have the stomach. for. I think people are just bored. Move on. You know, we've got so many real problems in this world. What are we going to do about Iran seizing tankers? What are we going to do about Social Security? This other stuff, if if people don't like President Trump and the way he's operated and they think he's a crook, vote him out in November of 2020. Exactly, exactly. That's why I don't understand why it is actually coming very close, if you think about it, to the new elections. Why are they spending so much time on this and not the real issues, the border, 
What yeah. are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about health care? Yep. Like you said, the, the Iran with the tankers. You know, these are real issues that need to be dealt with. And they're spending how much money worrying about impeaching the president? Right. No, I mean, I vote in a year. Right. They they see I'm with you. And I I think I mean, look, I understand there's parts of the the far left that are deep into the the Trump derangement syndrome and who who believe that he he was he it was you know was never really elected he's he's not a legitimate president at at all and so we need to bring him down and and the Mueller report was going to be it and there was going to be these charges and things like that well that that's just never happened so now you're kind of like grasping at one straw after another and i think for Again, the vast majority of Americans who aren't in the far left wing of the Democratic Party, who don't work for the New York Times or the Washington Post, I, I think most people are like, okay, look, we're, we're just, we're done with this. We're ready to move on. We've formed our opinions about the president and his character and things like that. And, and we'll, we'll render a verdict on it, but that verdict is going to come well, 14, 15 months from now, and and then then you will have it. I think I think this would be so foolish for Congress to wade in. I, I just do at this point. Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Well, I'm on board with America just being tired of all this, but I think what's going to happen is in the election, they're going to uh, Democrats and the media are going to find out how wrong they were and trying to constantly smear President Trump, despite of what he's getting accomplished, mm-hmm. that's going to backfire on him. Because in the first election, the polls were wrong. Yeah, Everybody thought that Hillary was going to win, and yep. surprise. You know? yeah. No, I, no, thanks. I mean, you, well, the, the 2016 election was a different dynamic. And I, I, I do, I, and I, look, I, I'm somebody who thought Hillary was going to win, too. So I, I have to put out that caveat the whole time. But in my defense, most people did. The 2016 election, I think, was a referendum on Hillary Clinton. And the the truth of the matter is, America just didn't like Hillary Clinton. And, yes, I know that she won the popular vote because she racked up big totals in New York and California. But but it was a referendum. The 2020 election is going to be a different dynamic. It's either going to be a referendum on Donald Trump or depending who the Democrats nominate, it might be a referendum on, you know, do we want to fundamentally change the direction of this country? And that's why I say it, it depends. I, you know, if you're asking me to make predictions, I, I can't do it because it depends on who the Democrats nominate. If you go the, the wacko route, the Elizabeth Warren route, the Bernie Sanders route, that's one thing. If you find a more moderate Democrat, you know, that that's another. We won't know until after the primary season comes down. But it's going to be a different dynamic. But I agree with your basic premise. I think America's done with this. Now, look, I understand the USA Today and the Time and the uh, the uh, the reporters for the Washington Post and the New York Times, they continue to be obsessed with this because, you know, they're selling papers to the folks that can't stand Donald Trump. And, and that's all that's all well and good. I think for most of us, it's just... Just, okay, let, let's just take a deep breath. Let's move on. Let's try to see if there's anything positive we can accomplish in Washington over the course of the next 15 months. And then let's see where the American people are on President Trump and on the two parties when we have this, I would say it's a referendum. We call this, this these things called elections, and they're coming up relatively quickly. Impeachment, let's give it a rest. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
So, very glad to have you with us. Do you want State Fair tickets? Wisconsin's radio station. That's us. Is your best chance to win tickets to the Wisconsin State Fair. Tune in tomorrow during the Wisconsin's Morning News, and you can try your hand at the State Fair Fun Fact of the Day. Be the first caller to answer the fun fact correctly, and you'll win four free tickets to the fair. Good luck. All right. Harley-Davidson, great American company, great local company as well continuing to struggle in the world of bike sales. Now, let, let me you got to put this in perspective. When it comes to the the large market, the large motorcycles, all right? Harley is still dominant in in the US heavyweight motorcycle market. First quarter of the year, um, 51%. So, I mean, it, it was dominant. This quarter, it's dropped to 46.6%. So it's a drop, but still, it's the preeminent player in, in the market. So we have to keep that in perspective. The interesting and perhaps troubling number that's out there is that motorcycle sales in the U.S. fell for the 10th consecutive quarter. And as a result, Harley saw a drop in their you know recent quarter earnings and lowered their expected bike shipments this year now the way you you have to, smart businesses look at things is in many in many businesses what you do is you you compare a quarter of one year to the quarter of the next year for example you you compare you know, January through March of 2018 with January March through 20 you know 19 why do you do that well it's because you know different things might happen. For example, in the motorcycle industry, my guess is that sales pick up dramatically in the spring, right? When it's, you know, you're, you're selling less motorcycles in Wisconsin in the winter, for example, than you are in the summer. So it's not necessarily a good indicator to compare summer with winter and say, oh, it went, oh, look, um, you know, the, the bikes that we're selling in the winter, we were selling dramatically less. Well, of course you are because it's winter. But that's why a better indicator is to say, Okay, for the three summer months in 2019, what did we sell? For the three summer months in 2018, what did we sell? And that gives you a better indication of where you're going. Okay, here's the deal. For the second quarter, which would be April, May, and June, unit sales declined about 8.4%. Harley last year sold 78,400 and some bikes. This year, they sold 71,800. That's an 8.4% drop. You also, you know, want to look at what's going on in other businesses. Where do we stand relative to the competition? Industry sales declined 4.9% over the same period. So, again, Harley's numbers are down. The industry's numbers are down, but... Harley's numbers are down by a greater percentage than the the industry. So their their market share has in fact declined. Now again, Harley's Harley's still the dominant player in the heavyweight motorcycle bike class. And what they found was sales were stagnant in um Europe, for example, for uh, in a lot of the developed markets. You know, they're trying to get into you know, some of the Asian markets and they're hoping that there's going to be an explosion, but the US market is in decline. 4147991620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Is this an irreversible trend for Harley? What's going on? Is the day of the Harley rider and the big, you know, heavyweight motorcycle, is that is that in the past? 
or can hardly turn it around? And if so, you know, what do they need to turn it around? And if you are a Harley rider, and I'm sure you are, because I see a lot of you out on the roads, you know, what do you think about what's going on? Is there need for concern? Should people be panicked? Or is this just, well, kind of a natural evolution of things? Or, hey, Harley's going to be back. Yeah, we've had 10 bad quarters in a row, but, you know, next quarter we're going to turn it around. What's going on? What is the problem? Is there a problem? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will share my thoughts and we'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. Harley Riders of the Midwest, what's going on with your beloved company? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Jason in Sheboygan. Jason, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, you know, the sales are down, but the riders are up. What is happening is I, I just bought my first Harley in May. I'm 47 years old. I've been riding motorcycles since I was probably 8 years old. I could never afford a Harley. But mm-hmm. now I got a used one, flying at 30,000 miles. I got it for 6000 So I think more people are buying used ones because they're made so well. And uh, that's why the sales are down and the riders are up. Jim, let, let me ask you this. Um, did you buy your bike from a dealer or did you buy it in the secondary market? from a Secondary, Craigslist. Okay, all right. I, maybe, maybe you don't know the answer. The guy, that, the guy or gal you bought it from, were, were they getting rid of their bike or were they going to buy a new one? Do you know? No, he was older. He had health yeah. issues, so he was just getting rid of it, but... I really think that's that's the point of it. That you're made too well, and now you're getting more used ones out there, and and and, and they're too expensive right now. I went mm-hmm. to look at the new ones. I mean, yeah, they're awesome looking, but I'm not paying twenty thousand dollars. Right, I'm too paranoid to hit a hit a bug, and I'd be all worried. Or but no, you know no, it's 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 an, it becomes an, it's an expensive hobby. There's there's no Wisconsin, question about you it. What, four or five months a year, and yeah, okay, but you you got your first bike. Okay, thanks for call. Now I I do. I, I, one of the things I was asking him about is, you know, did you buy it from a dealer or did you buy it in a secondary market? Because I, I, I mean, there's there's still now one net less rider, you know, in, in Craig's equation. He says, okay, I, I bought it, but I mean, I've been riding bikes now. I've upgraded to a Harley, but the guy who had it, you know, he he's he's not going to be riding anymore. Let's talk to Jim in Illinois. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Well, a couple of points. Number one, uh, the fact your your statement that Harley is only four points below the industry being down that's not true because their eight percent drives the industry down so the the competitors are not down as much as harley is and the other fact is we're getting older just like wanake and golf there aren't as many of us around to spend that kind of money to buy a vehicle Right, or, or tastes are changing. You know that just like like we were talking about. You know, yesterday when we were talking about golf, um, I I love golf. I grew up playing golf, but lots like you're saying, lots of golf courses are closing because fewer and fewer people, as they're raising their families or whatever, have the time to play golf or have the wherewithal to play golf. Rounds of golf are down dramatically. As I think as tastes change. And I think you're exactly right. I think the same thing is true, you know, with Harley. That was, okay, that was my generation and that was my dad's generation. You know, I, I think younger people, all right, there's just, there's not that same mystique that there was, you know, again, for, for baby boomers. Yep, exactly. 100%. Uh, the price of a car and the price of a cycle. 
you got to buy a car first. You can't drive a cycle in the wintertime. Well, right. No, no. Thanks for call. I appreciate it. And, and see, this, this this is the over this is the overarching you know battle they're going to have. There was a period of time where you know, it, and you know, you had all the weekend warriors. I, I get it. You had the you had the motorcycle enthusiasts, but then you had a lot of the forty something doctors and lawyers and you know accountants and and whatever the, the weekend warriors who had some disposable income and and that they wanted that they wanted the the biker lifestyle or at least they wanted to be you know imitation bikers i mean i, I get that and so you know they had the money to to drop on the bikes and then to go out and buy all the apparel and stuff like that and and that that sustained harley i think for for a while the problem with that is it's it's changed and that's the, the younger generation, people younger than me, people, you know, Gru's age. Okay, Gru, do you have any interest at all? You're in your 30s. Do you have any interest at all in buying a Harley? Not a Harley specifically, but a but a, a motorcycle, sure. Okay, you'd be, okay, you, um, would you be interested in a Harley, or if you were buying a motorcycle, would it be one of, like, the smaller bikes or something like that? I like the Triumphs yeah, and, okay. and, and Hondas. Hondas are nice. Okay, right. But, I mean, your view of the American dream isn't getting yourself a big old Harley and, and riding around. No, and then they make a little bit too much noise for, okay. my, for my liking, so. Okay, yeah. no, and, 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 and that's, I think, in part, that is the generational divide that's out there. And, and that's the battle that, that Harley faces. Now, I understand that they're, they're trying to be innovative, and they're talking about, well, you know, our future is going to be the electric bikes and things like that. Well, okay, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's going to work. And believe me, I'm, I'm not wishing Harley ill. I mean, I, I think they're well-made products. I know people that work at the company. I think they've been, you know, trying to figure out what their future is going to be. I, I don't know. I mean, Harley has a certain image, and the truth of the matter is, you know, when you try to get away from that, are you? I mean, are, are people going? Are you? Are you going to go to Harley to buy an e, uh, to, buy, to buy an electric motorcycle? I, I I just don't I don't know about that. It's kind of like when you go to McDonald's, you want hamburgers. Are you going to buy like a salad at McDonald's? Eh, you know that probably probably not. That I think is the challenge that is out there. I am not surprised by these numbers. I will tell you though that you have to. I mean, Harley's got to figure out one way or the other. Is this simply going to be the new normal? That we're we're not gonna we're not gonna be at the pinnacle and the peak that we were at a number of years ago, and, and if if that's the case, that's fine. You just you just adjust. It means you're probably going to have to adjust production. It means you're probably going to have to downside. It probably means you're going to have to like cut back on your marketing. But if it's a new normal, that's fine. You know, we were talking about that with, with Summerfest and the decline in the numbers of Summerfest. Summerfest isn't in any sort of danger at all. I mean, Summerfest is a very successful operation, but maybe the new normal is going to be you're going to have 700 to 750,000 people there instead of 850,000. It's just Taste change, time changes, the way people decide to spend their discretionary income changes. Harley's going to, I think, ultimately be fine, but it's going to be different. That that's just the reality. If they're able to, you know, make inroads into Asia or things like that, that might be a, a new, you know, boost for the company. But U.S. sales, I don't see. I don't see them suddenly turning around. I don't see a whole bunch of thirty-five-year-olds who finally. You know, get a little bit of money in their pocket or 40 year olds or 45 year olds who, you know, get some money saved for the kids college education to get the car paid off and feel comfortable with the house. I don't see this huge array of them saying, OK, now my dream is to get a Harley. Some people probably, but I, I think not certainly not so much as 20 or 25 years ago. Harley will be fine. 
but there's going to be a new normal. At least that's how I see it. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Of course she should be charged. At least that's what I think. Here is the story. Friday Friday afternoon, and if you will remember, last week we were we were hit with that, the big heat wave, right? You know, temperatures were in the 90s, and it was humid and things like that. Okay, here's the story. 55-year-old woman in Racine. She has a three-year-old. It's her grandson. And she decides she's babysitting. She wants to go to the Dollar Tree down in Racine. Okay? So she's got the kid in the car. What she does is goes to the Dollar Tree, and for reasons that we're unsure of, instead of taking the toddler and taking him into the store while she goes shopping, she leaves the kid in the car with the windows rolled up. That's about 6 o'clock at night. Temperatures are in the 90s. I am not sure how long the child was unattended in the vehicle, but but unattended enough that somebody sees the kid in the car by themselves, calls the police, so then the police have to arrive. First responders show up. They break the driver's side rear window to rescue the boy, who they describe as being limp and very warm to the touch. Okay, so now while this is going on, okay, the, so the police kicked in the window of the, the woman's car to get the kid. She comes out of the Dollar Tree. And she starts screaming at the first responders for breaking her window. <laughs> okay, you broke my window. Okay, so then the police start asking her questions. She says, I drove my grandson to the Dollar Tree so I could buy some stuff. Um, I left him in the vehicle. When asked what she believes the temperature was at the time of the call, she said, oh, I think it's about 80 degrees. Police said it was about 91 degrees and there was an excessive heat warning. She has been charged with misdemeanor child neglect. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the good news about this story is that the, the child does not appear to be to have sustained any sort of significant injury. So, I mean, it's kind of an all's well that ends well. If this had gone on for another 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, who, who knows what it would have been. But she left the car, the child locked in, unattended, for at least a long enough period of time that somebody saw it, called the cops, the cops got there, and then rescued the kid. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I don't think anybody would argue that this is a good example of babysitting or grandmothering or whatever. My question to you is, do you think she should be charged criminally? Like I say, the kid didn't die. Uh, I think all's well that ends up ending well. She left the child unattended. I'm sure my guess is she didn't mean for any harm to come to the toddler. Um, is this just kind of a learning experience? Don't do it again. Or are authorities right to go ahead and bring criminal charges against her? 414-799-1620. And by the way, these aren't felony charges. She's not going to be going to prison for 15 or 20 years. But, I mean, she could have some criminal exposure. Is it appropriate to charge her in this case? 414-799-1620. We will discuss in just a moment. And as I said at the start of this, I, I you can't leave kids locked in cars 
in parking lots at shopping centers for lengthy periods of time, especially when it's 90 degrees. This wasn't a deal where, hey, she pulls up at a gas station and she runs in for 30 seconds to, I don't know, pay you know for the, for the gas she's got to put in the car. This was, she was in there for at least a long enough period of time, like I say, for somebody to notice it, for the call the cops, for the cops to get there, and then have to rescue the kid. Of course she should be charged. 414-799-1620, what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, Drew, you point out correctly that my voice was on that, that one promo. No, I went back during the break, and the executive producer says, well, you, you want to hear your homegrown promo? I said, no, I, I don't want to hear it now. I want to hear it on the radio. <laughs> I, said, I, I under No, hearing it behind the scenes, no, that's not. I want it scheduled. 414-799-1620. I'm told I just need to listen more to the station. I do listen to the station a lot, actually. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, what do you do with this This 55-year-old woman leaves her grandson unattended in the car in the in the heat? Hey, Jeff. Hi, uh, Charger. I mean, Charger. bottom line is, I mean, these days you can't. First of all, if you if you had done with your pet, yeah, <laughs> you'd, you'd probably, you know, facing, you know, just a... Well, it wouldn't occur to me to do it with my pet. You know, I mean, yeah, exactly. there, there, there is no way that I would I mean, leave my little dog, you know, unattended in a car when it's 95 degrees outside while I run in somewhere. I, I just I, mean, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different. Let's say you pull into a, let's say, a, a gas station or whatever, and you're going to run in and run out, you know, that type of thing. Right. You know, you're within eyesight. That That's one thing. But to actually go into a store... And, and shop long and enough, shop. right, and long enough that somebody would see this, call the cops, and the cops have time to respond. So, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, there, there so was a time. Yeah. What, 10, you know, what, At least, you would think. Minutes, yeah. You know? I mean, you know, you're thinking along that line, it's kind of like, no, it's, you know, granted, you don't throw her in jail, but... But you, but you, but you got to charge her. No, I thanks. For, see, I, I mean, I, I agree. If nothing else, to kind of send a message on, on this, on this type of stuff. Now, I, I mean, I know that there's some. You, you might disagree with me because we've had these discussions over the years before. There's some people who think that absolutely never, ever, ever under no circumstances do you ever leave a child alone in a car for any length of time. And I, I honestly don't go that far. I mean, I, I'm going to go back. I like the example Dave gave. Okay, you pull up at the gas station. You're you're right in front. The toddlers in the front seat asleep in the car, and you know you don't have a credit card or whatever. You got to run in to give the attendant ten bucks or whatever to put gas in the car. Okay, I don't think under those circumstances where you're going to be running in and running out, you're going to be there less than a minute, and you've got the the car in your eyesight. I don't think it's neglect to leave the kid unattended under that circumstance. Now, do I understand that somebody can jump in the car and drive away in that 30 or 60 seconds? Yeah, I do. And I also respect the fact that maybe you disagree with me on that. But I, I just, in that scenario, you, we can argue about what's reasonable and what's good. But, okay, I'm just trying to picture the situation. The toddler has finally fallen asleep. You're just going to be in and out. That's different from saying, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to start shopping and I'm going to buy enough items and I'm going to shop enough that I'm going to be there for at least some decent period of time. Under no circumstances do I think you leave the kid unattended in the car, especially when you add into the fact that it's 90 degrees outside. Bill in Plymouth. Hi, Bill. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Thanks for talking. Sure. 
Um, I'm of the opinion that, now, I don't think this is the right thing to do, but if this is a grandmother and she left a kid in the car, don't spend my tax dollars arresting and prosecute her on some charge that you're not really going to do any good with anyhow. Spend my money on something more worthwhile. You know, it's not right, but don't prosecute her. So so what do you, I mean, so what do you, what do you do? Do you just, just tell her don't do it again? Yeah. Yeah, this is a grandmother, I take it. Yeah. She's probably 55, hasn't had a ticket in her life, and no, now no. we're going to prosecute? No. Spend no. my money somewhere else. Okay, let me, let me change the facts a little bit. Okay, what if, what if, same set of circumstances, except the kid is either, you know, is needs to be hospitalized. We won't go to the extreme to say dead, but, you know, needs to be hospitalized or whatever. They found the kid limp and sort of like kind of out of it. What what if the condition was a little bit worse? Would that change your thinking? It might change my thinking if I thought, or depends what they're going to charge you with. Are they going to charge you and put her in jail? Okay, then we're going to do that. But if they're just going to charge you, go through the motions, and then slap her on the hand with a fifty-dollar fine. Don't bother. Okay. Now I understand. I mean, think, I mean, I, I, I get where you're coming from, and I, I make that argument about a lot of stuff. Saying, look, if we're not serious, if we're not serious about pursuing charges, you know, why bother doing them in the first place? It's a waste of everybody's time. So I, I get that. At the same time, I, I do think. I do think you have to stand up when it comes to the protection of kids. And I, I think you have to, you have to be willing to say, look, th- this, this is unacceptable. And there needs to be, you know, some, some sort of consequence for engaging in behavior that, that, that clearly, look, I mean, I don't even think we'd be having the conversation. Let, let's say, now thank God that the kid didn't die. But if the kid died or the kid was, you know, seriously hurt as a result of, you know, heat, frustration or whatever, I think we'd all agree, yeah, you, you got to charge her because something really bad happened. Well, okay, just because something really bad didn't happen doesn't mean that there, that, that you can just, I, I think, ignore it. I think you, you bring charges, you, you put her on probation. Okay, maybe issue a little bit of a fine, and, and then you, you kind of move on. I mean, I'm not calling for her to be sent to prison for the rest of her life, but I, I do think we have to stand up as a society and say, look, there, there's, there is a line that you can't cross, and leaving kids unattended in cars when it's 90-plus degrees outside, you know, that's – that's one of the lines that's, you know, there. Here's a text, Jeff. What the lady did was endanger the kid's life. End of discussion. She needs to be charged. She should have known better. Somebody else says, you're, you're right. I mean, being a gas station is is different. Yeah, that's that's it. And that's why I say I'm not an absolutist. There are some people who think you just under no circumstances at all, should you ever under any circumstance leave a child unattended in a car. I, I don't buy that. I I think you got to look at stuff on a case-by-case basis, but I would think that we would all agree that leaving a child unattended, windows rolled up on a 90-plus degree day in a car while you go in and you shop eh, long enough, and again, you're, you're in there long enough for somebody to see it, to call the cops, and the cops to respond to the scene, that to me, that's child neglect, plain and simple. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. 
Interestingly enough, Rue, who's producing the show today and always, I'm getting swamped with emails. You know what about? Milwaukee Polo. I am not the only one who remembers the polo fields. Here's one, Jeff. This is from Kristen. I grew up on 95th and Silver Spring. I remember the polo field and the Melody Top on 76th and Good Hope. Laugh out loud. He said, Milwaukee Polo has been out in Merton for years now. Yeah, they, um, I, I, I know, but it's just, but it's just not the same. It's just, it, I'm, I'm sure it's wonderful, but it's just not quite the same as, as it was before. I remember those days. It is going to be interesting to me to see what happens with, with ESPN and this Dan Lubitard. I, it, I don't know if you watch ESPN. Uh, he, he's got a radio show, and he also does this thing. He's, he's a Cuban-American and very, very popular. He does this thing uh, called, what, Between the Lines with, with his dad out of, out of South Florida. He's a, he was a writer, I think, for the Miami Herald as well. And it, it's kind of a – it's actually – it's not one of my favorite ESPN shows, but but it's okay. Um, and he he does some other stuff as well. But he also does this radio show, and it's the the between the lines is on. I think at four thirty in the afternoons our our time. Well, in any event, ESPN recognized. If you haven't heard the story, they they realized a while back that one of their problems was that they had all these sports announcers who had become very very political weighing in on on these various issues and what they found is that it was hurting the espn brand because people weren't tuning in to espn to get politics and they had a very very politically diverse audience it wasn't fox news it wasn't msnbc you had people from all across the political spectrum and what they found is you know they had you know people on the on primarily the left, but occasionally the right, but primarily the left, who would go off on this or that thing, you know, and they'd use ties to athletics like the Colin Kaepernick stuff, all, all those type of things. And what they found is it was alienating their viewers who didn't want politics with their sports. So the new ESPN president came in uh, several months ago and made it really clear. No politics. You know, that this is just you're, you're hired to be a sports commentator. No politics, period. Well, the other day, um, after the whole flap with President Trump and send her back, et cetera, the chants and things, you know, Dan Lebetard, you know, goes on his radio show and and starts sending out tweets as well. And he, he blasts. He blasts the president. He blasts the people who were, you know, uh, talking about this. And, and he goes on a heavy political rant and he blasts ESPN for not allowing him or telling him that he's not supposed to talk about politics. So he's blasting his employer and he's violating the rules. So now the question becomes, you know, what happens? ESPN, um, I, I think they're, they're not saying exactly, but it sounds like they he wasn't on his radio show yesterday and they, they make it sound like he I, I think he was probably suspended for that and for at least an hour on Friday. I believe he returned today, but now the question is, you know, what do you do moving forward on this? And I I guess to me, I think this is is a pretty clear-cut thing. ESPN has made the decision that we don't want politics on our programs. And so you say to the on-air personalities, we hired you to talk about sports. So, you know, you give a guy like this, I think, a warning, and you tell him, all right, you know, you've... You've, tried, you've embarrassed us. That That's okay. Fine. You know, we understand that you're a big star, but here's the bottom line. 
we didn't hire you to do politics. We hired you to talk about sports. So you've got a decision to make. If you want to talk about politics, go with God. Maybe you can find some other radio station that's going to hire you and going to let you do a political show. But if you're going to talk about sports, you know, we, we, we want, we've hired you to talk about sports. And if you want to continue doing your job here, we expect you to continue to talk about sports. I think that is a perfectly reasonable position to take. And I, I think for all of us, you know, who have jobs like that. WTMJ, I think, has every right. Now, you know, in all the years I've been here, nobody has ever told me, don't talk about this, don't talk about that, talk about this. That's not the way it works. But if at some point in time, you know, they decided, you know, okay, we don't want you to talk about this particular thing, all right, as long as I'm taking a, a paycheck from the company, I, I think I should be following instructions. Now, at the same time, if I decide I can't live with that, that, that that's fine. You can't live with it. You move somewhere else, and then uh, again, you know, in this case, Dan Lebatard, if he wants to, if he wants to go talk about politics, you know, get a job at some other radio gig. But ESPN has, in my opinion, every right to say, "Hey, we meant this," and if you keep doing this, you're going to be out on your butt. Just my take on it. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This is another example of how how far shopping malls have fallen. There was there was a time when I mean going to the mall was the big thing. There were there were at least two generations of of, of kids who grew up, and I I was one of them. You know, with the idea being you're you're going to go and you're going to hang out at malls. When I was a kid growing up around here, the Northridge Mall was big. You'd go to Mayfair, Brookfield Square, and I think the generation immediately after me was sort of the same way. Malls have kind of been on decline for for a while, and now it's just accelerated. Here's the latest story. GNC, which is the General Nutrition Centers, it's the, they, they, you know, they sell vitamins and supplements and things like that. They're, they've just announced that they intend to close about half of their mall locations across the country. They have 800 mall locations. Um, now, now it's, it's a big store. Most of their, their stores are, are not in malls. Most of their, or at least not in, it, or not in like enclosed malls. Most of their stores are in strip centers or other non-mall locations. But they've got about 800 stores that are in malls, including Mayfair, Southridge, Brookfield Square, and Bayshore. They haven't been specific about which stores they're going to close, but they've announced that they're closing about half of their stores that are in in existing shopping malls. The company's not going out of business. But what they said is that they've, they've just, what they've noticed is across the board, there's been a huge fall off in, in traffic at mall stores over the last several years. And it's really accelerated in the last couple quarters, hurting the performance. And so they said, like, here's, you know, here, here's the deal. Um, you know, our, our sales at stores are down overall, but the sales at stores in malls are down much more dramatically. So they're going to be pulling out of a large number of malls. And again, I don't know, I don't know about the stores that are open in the Milwaukee ones, what it means, but it's just another example of how America's tastes have, have changed. And this idea of going and wandering through the mall and hanging out, that's, that's just not, that's not existing anymore. I have a friend who, um, 
who who knows everything there is to know about malls and shopping centers and things of the like. And, and I, I always ask him, I said, is there still money to be made in, in developing like shopping centers and all? He says, oh, yeah. He said, it's just, it's not in malls. It's, if you look more and more places, it's, it's the, the strip centers, the, you know, the, the strip shopping centers. And he said, and, and if you look around, what you find is that the, he said they're they're not your typical retail products. There there'll be uh, there'll be a, a a cell phone store, and there might be a bank, and there might be a dry cleaner, and there'll be you know maybe one or maybe a Taco Bell or a Jimmy John's or something like that, and there'll be a haircut place, and there'll be an exercise place. He said, yeah, those those start types of of strip centers are are doing great because um, they're, they're smaller spaces. Typically, what happens is if one place goes out, it's easy to find another place to come in. He said, no, those are still licenses to print money. But the old, you know, classic mall, that whole idea, you know, just doesn't work anymore, which I find to be interesting, especially as you're looking at all this money that uh, they're getting ready to put into uh, Bayshore Town Center in Glendale. Now, they're, they're doing away with the vast majority of what was the old existing mall, but it's, I'm going to be curious to see about the concept and whether or not it works. All right. I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Earlier in today's show, we were discussing all these people in Washington, D.C. are all excited about Robert Mueller's testimony tomorrow. And and is this going to be the thing that finally incites the public to demand that Donald Trump be impeached? And of course, my, my answer to this is no. I, I think We've all moved on, or at least most people have moved on, and your opinions about the president are are cemented, and we're going to find out how that all plays out in about less than a year and a half when you have the elections, and that's all going to be fine. That's going to be the referendum on the thing, and just dragging the country through six months of discussions about an impeachment process, which, by the way, isn't going to happen. He's not going to be removed from office as a practical matter. To me, it's a waste of time and effort and spirit when there are so many other issues that are out there. And I think the biggest issue, and this is one, it affects me, it affects my producer, Gru, it affects you, it affects your children, it will affect your grandchildren, and it affects your parents. It affects us all. And that is the mess that is going on with Social Security. All right, next year, for the first time since 1982, Social Security is going to have to start drawing down on their assets in order to pay retirees all of the benefits they have been promised. Now, if... I just Let's go over this once more for people who don't quite understand how Social Security works. If you're working right now, you contribute to Social Security, all right? There's money taken out of your paycheck. That money is not put into a bank account that says Jeff Wagner on it. The money that comes out of my bank account doesn't go into Jeff Wagner. What the money that I give to the government that's taken out of my account, what that does is it goes, it is used to pay current obligations of people who are already collecting from Social Security. Now, I get a credit. They say, okay, well, we've, you know, Jeff has paid, you know, this much uh, a year. So when he starts collecting Social Security, whenever that's going to be, you know, he'll be entitled to this much. But it's not like the money that's come out of my account has gone. It's not like a bank account. It's just I, I've got this kind of credit that's there. Well, next year, for the first time since 1982, all the money that people pay in 
is not going to be enough to cover all the money that has to go out. Now, Social Security has a surplus. So this <clears throat> it's not a crisis tomorrow. The estimates are that that within 15, but after 15, we've got another 15 years. And after 15 more years, unless something dramatically changes, that trust fund, the, the, the surplus, the extra money they have is going to be gone. So there's not going to be enough money to, there's not going to be enough money to come in and coming in to pay the obligations going out. So unless something is done, what that means is one of two things. Either people aren't going to get paid, um, or you're going to have to start dramatically increasing the amount of money that you take from the people that are working. And this is a problem that gets worse and worse as the population ages and more and more people start to you know qualify for Social Security and live longer. Now, it's a good thing that we're all living longer, believe me, but it's a problem for Social Security. And so, you know, it's so frustrating to me because we're talking about impeachment and things like that, and nobody is talking about the elephant in the room that affects each and every one of us, which is what are we going to do about Social Security? Do we cut people's benefits? Do we increase the amount of money that those of us who are working pay into Social Security so more money is coming in, despite the fact that many of us have, you know, had a certain promise and worked our entire lives, do we say, okay, well, you know, if you've saved a bunch of money outside of Social Security, well, we're, we're not going to give you your full benefits because you don't need it as much. They call that means testing. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we care about this problem? Because, you know, we, we talk about, earlier today I was talking about this budget thing, and they're, they're just kicking the budget deficit down the road for a couple of years. You know, we're going to continue to borrow money. We'll worry about it some other time. We've been kicking the Social Security can down the road for a long time, and now we're, we're at a point where starting next year, in order to pay obligations, you're going to have to dip into the surpluses. That's only going to last for a little time. Are you worried about the future of Social Security and do you have an idea as to what we can do to change it? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer to both is yes and yes. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Look, I know when we talk about Social Security, people's eyes roll. But I'm just telling you, the reality is, I mean, there, there's not light at the end of the tunnel right now. And if you see light, it's a train coming the other way. We're looking at a train wreck, and nobody in Washington is talking about this. The Democrats aren't talking about it. Trump's not talking about it. I'm frustrated and scared. Dick in Sheboygan. Dick, you're on WTMJ. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, if Social Security and uh, the congressional members put their uh, retirement package together... In other words, Congress would have to be part of the Social Security system. I think everything would be resolved because they have their own retirement system yes, they do. and their own funds. Yes, they do. Federal employees are, are in a whole different sort of system. Okay, are you worried about Social Security being around for you, Dick? I'm already under Social Security <laughs> for the last 15 years. Okay, so you, you, the reality is you're going to be fine, and the truth of the matter is I'm going to be fine, but, you know... 
my producer grew there. I'm worried about him, and I'm worried about you know people's kids and things like that because this this is a train wreck, and nobody's got the guts to deal with it. Right. My children are in their 40s and 50s, and uh, grandchildren are about 30 and below, and it's not going to be around for them. Not unless no. Thanks for not unless we do. Not unless we do something dramatic, which is either pull back a little bit on the payment of benefits. But the problem with that is there have been promises. How how do you say to somebody who's, okay, 55 years old now and has been paying in their entire life, okay, this was the promise, but no, now we've decided that we're we're not going to give you all that you've, you've been promised. I don't think that you, you can do that. Uh, I don't think that that's fair. At the same time, I, I do think... As, as much as I hate to do this, I, I think that we have to start looking at, you know, increasing the amount of money that's coming in. And the easiest way, to me, the start is, you know, maybe increasing you know, the the income limits. Right now, I think it's, you know, after a hundred twenty thousand bucks or something like that, you start paying, you stop paying into Social Security. I, I think the start is maybe start to raise those limits to get a little bit more money coming in. Chuck in Brookfield, Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. You just took part of my uh, part of my stick. Uh, so yes, I am concerned about it more for my children um, and grandchildren. Uh, I think there's two items, right? The expense side and the revenue side. Right. The expense side, I don't have a perspective into this. We've got to look at the administrative expenses that are being poured into this thing on the government side. On the revenue side, as you said, the FICA limit. Many of us over our working careers have been blessed with hitting that FICA limit, and it's just a windfall that sits on us. And while it is an extra, and I'm using air code, tax, right. um, we have to look at that and bumping that up or eliminating it altogether. Yeah, I, see, I, I agree. They did that with Medicare a number of years ago. You know, they, they I think, boosted, you know, got rid of the, the limit. And I, I think that that's, I think that that's fair. And you're right. It, there's no other way to look at it. It's a tax increase. But... I, I think that, you know, given the fact that we got to figure out something, I certainly like that more than like means testing or saying, hey, you know, you paid a lot of money in, but just because you have a lot of money, you know, you're, you're not going to get out what we promised you. I don't think that's right. I, but you got to get more money and, and nobody's going to like any of these solutions, but something has to happen. Yeah. Exactly. And, and really peeling back benefits, you know, for people that are in their fifties, they, they, these people have planned on yeah. that and that would not be fair. Right. No, exactly. No, th- thanks. That's, you know, that's when people talk about means testing. When I say that, it means, okay, um, you, you've, you, you've, you're, you're getting ready to retire. And let's say you've saved a lot of money over the court. You've, you've been, you've been financially successful. You've saved a lot of money. And so, you know, you're, you're doing all your financial planning and you have a bunch of money in the bank or in 401k plans or whatever. And then they say, oh, well, you know, you, you've got, you don't need this, this money. You know, so you've you've saved too much, so we're not going to give it to you. Well, to me, that that's that's kind of fraud. That that forget kind of that's fraud. You know, we over the court. This has been the promise of what you were going to get as you've been paying all this money in over the years. I don't think you could pull the rug out on people. Now, maybe you can say, okay, for new folks coming in, we'll put limits on. But but you still you need to increase the amount of money that's coming in. And it has been disappointing to me that and this is this is a bipartisan indictment that Democrats don't want to deal with this republicans don't want to deal with this and we just keep kicking it down the road and down the road and 10 years from now you know we're going to be looking at one hell of a mess well okay can't we do something before that dave in port washington dave you're on wtmj uh, thanks for taking my call Hi, dave. Jeff. uh 
I'm an over-road trucker. I'm 64. I'm getting ready maybe next year to retire. But, and I listen to a lot of radio across the country. And I've heard when Hillary was running for president and that, and, and Joe Biden, I've heard several speeches given where their idea is to commandeer everyone's 401k and retirement program and just take it into a lump. And you would get your Social Security, but then you would only get like 3% <laughs> from the government that they would commandeer the... Because what Hillary was talking about, and the Dems still have this in their heads, and I've heard this even with Bernie Sanders, to that the billions of dollars in this 401ks that people have been, sure. like myself, I mean, I've saved, you know, I can retire sure. as long as they get my Social Security. But their plan, and they've had their eye on this, and I've said this to several people, and they go, oh, no, they can never do that. Well, they'll never say never. You know, so your your concern is okay. So let's say you've let's say you you've got a million dollars sitting. You've saved all your life, and you've got a million dollars sitting right. in your retirement account. Your concern is the government would come in, confiscate that million dollars of yours, and then just kind of use it to fund Social Security. Well, I I, I thanks. I mean, Dave, I, I haven't heard that. Um, I think I think the more uh, I, I I don't. Think they're going to? To me, boy, I, I just I don't think you could do that legally. That's that's. I mean, that money. That's like saying, okay, we're going to go steal people's bank accounts. Now you could do things with saying, all right, you you're going to have to. We're going to increase the mandatory withdrawals that you're going to have, or you could perhaps say, okay, you know, you invested all this stuff uh, in your Roth four hundred one k's, the after tax. Well, never mind about that. I, I do. I mean, there's always the potential to dip into that. I don't think they're going to end up going that far, but it's a problem. And again, the reason I bring this up is because we do have real problems in this country. You know, healthcare is a whole other story. We talk about that from time to time. Social Security is something that nobody wants to talk about here. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to stick my fingers in my ears. But we have to have this dialogue. And I guess, you know, we, we get so caught up in the. The, the issue of the day and what did the president say about this person and, you know, what what did this person say about that person and, no, this is what the squad, all, all this all this kind of stuff, that at the end of the day doesn't mean anything. What means stuff is these important issues, and I just wish we could get people that would have a serious discussion and take those on. When we come back, John McCure, Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.